and welcome to the RCP Medicine Podcast with me, Dr. Amy Burbridge. I'm a cute physician working in Coventry, and today we have a very special guest. We have... I'm Kat Atkin, I'm an acute medicine trainee in the West Midlands. Welcome and thank you for joining us on this podcast. So today, Kat, you are going to tell me about a case and I'm going to see if I can figure out what's going on. So over to you. Right, so the the person you've been asked to come and see, so she's a 74-year-old lady um, and she's come in through ambulatory care, so she's been referred to hospital by her GP. Yeah. um, Because of symptomatic anemia. So she's been a bit more tired for three months, it's been gradually getting worse. She's had a little bit of vague chest discomfort, so um, round over the lower ribs on the right side of her chest. Mm -hmm. It's kind of there all the time, um, but she can't tell you how long it's been there for. Um, And yeah, she just just doesn't feel quite as well as she normally does. Okay. Is there anything else you'd like to know? Oh, gosh. She got a UTI? No, I'm joking. Um, Okay, so we've got a 74-year-old lady presenting to the ambulatory care unit with symptomatic anemia. Yep. You said that she'd been tired for three months and she's had some chest discomfort. So I need to find out why she's anemic. So I'm going to ask her some questions. Has she lost any weight recently? Uh, Maybe a little bit. Okay. Um, Okay, so has she lost any weight? Uh, maybe a little bit. She's not really sure. Okay. Um, has she noticed that her bowel habits changed at all? No. So um, her bowel habits been completely regular. Um, and she said actually she'd she'd had some investigations about six months ago. Okay. Um, because her hemoglobin was a little bit low before, and she saw a colorectal surgeon. So she'd had a colonoscopy which was completely normal okay so that's what we're sort of thinking is a colorectal malignancy has she passed any blood from per rectum has she vomited any blood up any hematemesis no so she's not had any abnormal bleeding okay fine um so now i'm going to think about any blood loss from the lungs so has she had any hemoptysis okay is she a smoker she's not no never been a smoker okay has she lost any blood visible blood from a urine no no urinary symptoms at all okay so it doesn't look like she's got any obvious blood loss that may be causing this anemia she's been investigated by the colorectal surgeon and there was no malignancy identified at that point okay did she have an endoscopy as well she didn't no she just had a colonoscopy Okay, interesting. Okay. So I know that there is a guideline that says that anybody who's over the age of 40 or 45, they present with anemia, should have an endoscopy as well as a colonoscopy. But she's had the colonoscopy. There's nothing there. Hmm. Okay, what else could be causing this anemia? Okay, has she noticed any change in her amount that she wheezes? So I'm now starting to think about, is it any kidney problems that are causing the anemia? No, so she had not that she's noticed. Okay, so she's still producing erythropoietin, um, which is going to help produce her haemoglobin. Okay, diet. So what's her diet like? Has that changed? No, her diet's been okay. So she she's maybe in a little bit less because just because she doesn't feel quite so well. So she's she doesn't feel like eating quite as much as she normally did. Mm-hmm. Um, but she but she'd say she still eats a fair amount. Okay. Is she sleeping okay? Yes, she's sleeping all right. Okay. Um, has she had any night sweats? No, no night sweats. 
Okay. And we've talked about weight loss and we've talked about appetite. Okay, so now um, you mentioned some chest discomfort as well, quite vague chest discomfort. So I guess now we can start to think about she's anemic and the side effects of the anemia. So the chest pain could be because she's anemic and she's got reduced hemoglobin, reduced oxygenation in the coronary arteries. Has she become more short of breath? She's maybe a little bit more short of breath when she's doing things. Okay. But she's not short of breath at rest. Is she pale? She looks a little bit pale. Is she jaundice? No, she's not. Okay. She hasn't noticed a skin itching or anything like that. Okay. Um, has she noticed any abdominal swelling? No. Okay. Hmm. Any headaches? No, no headaches. Okay. Vision's okay. Okay, so now we've got a lot of sort of physical things that could be causing anemia. Now I want to sort of think about, is there a problem with the bone marrow itself? So is there actually an abnormality within the hematopoietic stem cell that's contributing to the anemia? Or is there a problem with any of the, um, the cells that are being made by the bone marrow? So, hmm, back over to you. Um, so... I mean, you've you've kind of covered all of her symptoms. Mm-hmm. So um, she had been. She's. I mean, she's a lady who's generally well. Um, bit of a background of hypertension that's mm-hmm. treated with amlodipine, but nothing else. Okay. So you kind of you've got all of her symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have a look at what the the GP had done before. So he'd yeah. he'd done some basic blood tests. Okay. So he'd done a full blood count mm-hmm. and that showed that her hemoglobin was 82. Ooh, okay. Uh, with a normal MCV mm-hmm. and a normal MCH. Okay, so the MCV is the mean cell volume. Yeah, which, and what's the normal limit of what you want the MCV to be? Be between 80 and 100. Okay. And haemoglobin, what do you want that to be? So that should be over about 115. Okay, grams per litre that is, isn't it? Okay. And her MCV was? So MCV is normal. Normal. Okay. And her MCH, what is MCH? So that's the mean corpuscular haemoglobin, so the amount of haemoglobin in each. Okay. And hers was normal. And what should it be? What's the normal range? So your normal range is 27 to 33 picograms per cell. Mm, okay, that's normal. So that's normal. Okay. So if you had those results, what can you start thinking about what investigations you might do for her? Hmm. So got a full blood count. MCV is normal. MCH is normal. HB. So really, she, when you're looking at that, she's got an anemia of chronic disease could be one of the things. And um, I need, need to find out what the cause is. She's not acutely bleeding. She, we don't. We know that she's got no, hasn't got any gastrointestinal bleeding, any gastritis or inflammatory bowel disease. Has she had any recent surgery? I forgot to ask, actually. She hasn't, no. No, she's not jaundice. We know that. Okay, so the next thing I want to do then is to do a kidney function. Yeah. So we'll have a look at urine electrolytes and see how that's working. So her urea is normal. Yeah. Her creatinine's 190. Oh. And she's got no background of kidney disease, has she either? No, no, no kidney disease. Okay. Liver function? So her ALT is normal. Mm-hmm. Her ALP is normal. 
So I say her alkaline phosphatase is normal. Yeah. Um, her albumin's 30. Albumin of 30. Okay, yeah. Um, and her bilirubin's normal. Yeah. Her total protein is 90. Okay, and what's the normal range for total protein? So the normal range for total protein is 60 to 80 grams per litre. Okay, and albumin should be more than 35? Should be more than 35 grams per litre. So she's got a raised total protein and a low albumin. Calcium? So her calcium's normal, actually. Okay, good. So, okay, so we've done liver function tests. Just going to go back to what our reticulocyte count is. So her reticulocyte count is slightly low. Okay, so reticulocyte is a marker of how much the bone marrow is trying to make in new cells. So it's low, so it's indicating it's hypoproliferative, and there may be a problem with the bone marrow potentially. Potentially, yeah. Okay, so I would now think about let's have a look at what could be causing a normal MCV, hypoproliferative bone marrow, and this abnormal albumin total protein ratio which brings into mind one particular condition. Yeah. Would you like me to say what I think it might be? You can go for it. Okay, I'm thinking multiple myeloma. Yeah. So total protein, Mm -hmm. so what are you measuring when you measure total protein in the blood? The amount of protein in the blood. So you're measuring all protein components that are not bound in a cell. Including immunoglobulins? Yeah. Okay. So your albumin's your largest part of the total protein. Yeah. And then the rest of the protein in your blood, the largest part of that is immunoglobulins. Okay. So if she has multiple myeloma, she has abnormal clonal proliferation of the B cell, which is producing more immunoglobulin, which is therefore pushing the total protein up. Yeah. Why does the albumin drop? So it's used as a marker of severity okay. of disease. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's likely related to the inflammation and the cytokine release that comes with myeloma. Okay. That that's why your albumin falls. See, so she's got the low albumin, the raised total protein. Let's think about multiple myeloma. So as you said, so multiple myeloma is, so it's a plasma cell malignancy. Mm-hmm. So plasma cells are a differentiated form of B cells. Mm-hmm. So they're the cells that produce antibody mm-hmm. or immunoglobulin. Okay. IgM, A, D, G and E. Yeah. yeah. What's special about IgM? So IgM um, is a pentamer. So five of them mm-hmm. are stuck together. So for... Um, so they travel around as kind of like like a little pentagon mm-hmm. of five antibodies. Mm-hmm. They're all stuck together. Okay. Whereas the other antibodies are it's like a li- they're they're like a little Y shape. Yeah. Uh, that are a form of heavy chains and light chains. Okay. Um so the the heavy chain component is the IgG, IgA, IgD, IgM or IgE. Mm-hmm. Um so um, in myeloma, they the most common ones are IgG or IgA. Mm-hmm. You you can get IgM, IgD myeloma, IgE myeloma, but, it, but it's less common. So IgM myeloma, yeah, is that it's also known as Waldenstrom's macroglobulinemia. So you so so if you have a high level of IgM 
paraprotein, so the clonal um, antibody in your yeah. blood. So um, Waldenstrom's is um, causes a high level of IgM paraprotein in yeah. the blood, okay. um, but it presents slightly differently mm-hmm. to myeloma. But you can have a for, you can have myeloma that produces IgM. Okay, so they can be sort of slight. So they're sl- two slightly different, but they're similar, and you'd pick, probably pick them up in the same way. Okay, but the IgM because it's so thick and cloggy, I always imagine it's going to travel around the blood system and get stuck places. So patients may present with thrombosis. Yeah, so okay. so you tend to get more hyperviscosity yeah. um, in Waldenstrom's. Mm-hmm. Um, Although you do get some some hyperviscosity in myeloma, mm-hmm. um, which is one of the other ways that you might pick it up on blood tests. Because you might have a raised erythrocyte sedimentation rate or yeah. plasma viscosity. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes when people have raised inf- inflammatory markers, it will raise DSR, mm-hmm. then they might have myeloma. It doesn't really work with CRP, so CRP doesn't necessarily go up when you've got myeloma. Because it's more of a marker of acute phase reaction rather than rather than the increased viscosity okay mm. okay um so as i said you've got the, the heavy chains mm-hmm. and then you've also got the light chains mm-hmm. as well so those are either kappa or lambda mm-hmm. and then when you test for myeloma you can work out what heavy chain and what light chain you have ah so to go through so if i think this person's got multiple myeloma yeah investigations that I want to do. We've already said full blood count, use and ease, total protein and albumin, and we said ESR. So we also need to do these serum-free light chains. Okay. And do I just measure those in the blood? Yeah, so there's there's a a set group of investigations that you should request for anyone where you think that they might have myeloma. Mm -hmm. Um, And these tests work very well together, Mm -hmm. but you can't do a single test out of the group to exclude myeloma. Okay. So if you're considering it, you'd, you should do all of them. Mm-hmm. So you should do a serum protein electrophoresis, yep. which measures all of the, separates out all of the proteins in the blood mm-hmm. and can identify whether you've got a paraprotein. So if you've got one cloning immunoglobulin, you can see that on the electrophoresis. So if you've got a raised IgG, higher than normal that may also lead to suppression of the other immunoglobulins so you may get a hypergammaglobulinemia of the other yeah. okay so it's important to measure the immunoglobulin classes mm-hmm. when you're testing for myeloma as well so that's one of the other tests you need to do okay to see whether you've decreased one of the other classes right okay um and then you, as you said you do serum free light chains yes yeah. um and then you should do a urine free light chains mm-hmm. as well Okay. Yeah. And I guess that's where you get the kidney abnormality in our lady. She's got a creatinine of 190. So she may have myeloma kidney where some of those light chains have actually got stuck in the glomeruli and caused renal disease. Yeah. Okay. Um, any other investigations that you'd, that we'd need to do? So you'd think about whether you need to do any um, imaging to look at her bones. Okay. Yeah. Um, because bone disease is is one of the forms of end organ damage mm-hmm. in myeloma. Okay. So they cause osteolytic lesions, don't they? Yeah. And pathological fractures. And what's that thing you can get? A plasmacytoma. Yeah. So what's a plasmacytoma? So a plasmacytoma is a localized 
uh, kind of like a localized tumor that's plasma cells. Okay. So you can have you can have a plasma cytoma without having myeloma because it's like a because it's just localized. There's no distant end organ damage with a plasma cytoma. Okay, but it's this. The same pathological so process. So it's it's kind of the same pathological process in that you've got a clonal expansion of plasma cells. And where do they tend to be, plasma cytomas? Uh, so they can be in bone or they can be other places as well. Okay. So you, you can get them in, in other organs. Okay. So if you're affecting the bone, you, your calcium level may be high as well. So you may present with hypercalcemia. Yeah. Okay. What about serum beta 2 microglobulin? So you don't need to measure that to make a diagnosis. Okay. Um, but if you were, if you did the tests and you thought somebody did have, or, and you diagnosed someone mm-hmm. with myeloma, yeah. then you would do that as part of the staging system. Okay, so it's good for predicting survival. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, any, so we could do a skeletal survey. We've mentioned, we've mentioned the other tests. Anything else that we might do? But would you do LDH? Um, so you might think about doing it. Or lactate dehydrogenase, I should say. So, so you might think about doing that when, again, as kind of assessment of severity. Right. Okay. Well, just coming back to the skeletal survey. Yes. Do you know what? So, do you know what what imaging is used now to look for bone disease in myeloma? Mm, I would like to say I, I know they used to do X-rays because the skull used to have a pepper pot skull, and I remember that from medical school, where the brain was. The school was had little holes. Would you do a PET scan? No, so oh. <laughs> so you would you would still use you'd still do X-rays mm-hmm. of specific parts if you thought that there was a particular right. location that that was affected. So okay. if you thought there was a fracture, yeah. or you thought that there was a localized bone lesion, you might still do an X-ray to have a look at a particular area for fracture. Okay, um, but. Um, now the recommendation is to use either whole body MRI Ooh, okay. or, or whole body low dose CT to look for bone disease. Mm. Um, which, so that kind of fits in with the current definitions of myeloma. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so the in, there's there's international definitions of myeloma. So the International Myeloma Working Group definition. Um, changed a few years ago. So um, you to be diagnosed with myeloma, you have to have um, either more than 10% of your bone marrow is made up of plasma cells. Okay. Uh, which obviously you can only tell on a bone marrow mm-hmm. biopsy. Um, or you have to have a biopsy proven plasma cytoma. Okay. And then in the past, you um, always used to have, have to have end organ damage. Mm to be diagnosed with myeloma. Mm-hmm. So the end organ damage are the things that we've mentioned. So anemia, yeah. hypercalcemia, mm-hmm. renal impairment, or bone disease, normally in the form of osteolytic lesion mm-hmm. or fracture. Mm-hmm. Um, but now if you have um, more than 10% of your bone marrow is plasma cells, but you don't have those those features, yeah. Um, but you have a myeloma-defining event, you can still be diagnosed with multiple myeloma. Okay. So if your bone marrow is made up of more than 60% plasma 
plasma cells. Yeah. So you have a very high amount of plasma yes. cells in your bone marrow. Then even if you don't have end organ damage, you can be di- diagnosed with myeloma. Um, or if you have a very abnormal serum free light chain ratio. Mm-hmm. So if it's if the ratio is over a hundred, mm-hmm. um, then you can still be diagnosed without end organ damage. Mm-hmm. Or if you have more than one focal lesion, more than five millimeters on in the skeleton mm-hmm. on a whole body MRI, mm-hmm. then um, you can be diagnosed with myeloma. Okay. So those are kind of things that have been added over the last few years okay. so that you don't have to wait for end organ damage to develop mm-hmm. before people can be treated. Okay. So what's monoclonal gammopathy of unknown significance or undetermined significance? So essentially, um, if you think of it as like a spectrum of um, increasing amount of paraprotein and plasma cells. So there are kind of three where if you think of multiple myeloma as the kind of more advanced Mm -hmm. disease and before you have active multiple myeloma, you have smoldering myeloma. And before that, you have monoclonal gammopathy of undetermined significance. It's like a spectrum. Okay. So patients with monoclonal gammopathy of undetermined significance have a lower level of paraprotein. Mm -hmm. Um, So in monoclonal gammopathy of undetermined significance, you have a paraprotein level that's less than three grams per deciliter. Okay. Um, You have plasma cells that make up less than 10% of the bone marrow and Mm -hmm. you don't have the same end organ damage features as myeloma. So it's milder almost. Yeah, see there's the, there are still some problems for patients Mm -hmm. that have MGUS. Okay. Um, So there is a risk of progression Mm -hmm. to multiple myeloma. Um, And unfortunately that's not a risk that goes away with time. So even if you have... Even if you have MGUS for 20 years, you are still at risk of it progressing in the future. Okay. So you can be stratified stratified into low risk or high risk, mm-hmm. depending on how high your paraprotein is um, and what type of paraprotein you have. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also kind of increasing recognition that there are potential complications from having MGUS itself. Right. I so see. before it or without any progression to myeloma. Okay. Right. So, um, other differentials then, which may have multiple myeloma. We've mentioned MGUS. You've mentioned we've mentioned plasmacytomas, Waterstrom's macroglobulinemia. What about amyloidosis? So that can so myeloma I know can actually contribute to the development of amyloidosis. But amyloidosis will also have very similar symptoms, only with the fatigue and the weight loss, the renal insufficiency. And amyloidosis is something that we are going to be coming back to in a future episode of the podcast. So make sure you listen to that one. Okay, so just to recap on the investigations then, um, NICE have a very good guideline. Um, myeloma diagnosis and management. It was updated in October 2018. It's NICE guideline NG35. And they go through these lab investigations. And we've mentioned the electrophoresis, bone marrow biopsy, and trephine. Um, and then obviously then we mentioned prognostic information as well. So they do mention um, fluorescence in situ hybridization, which they've started to use now, which helps classify. 
Um, but again, that's not something that we are going to be requesting. Um, and that, that's more for the haematologists. Um, they all also say as well is that, as you mentioned, MRI is now first line imaging for, so I really need to read the guideline. Um, I think the important thing to remember is that, um, so if there is a detectable paraprotein, yeah. um, that's always an abnormal result. Okay. So it might not mean that it's myeloma, yeah. but it could be MGUS, okay. or it could be another hematological malignancy. Okay. So um, if you don't think it's myeloma, you don't think it's MGUS, it's to make sure that it's not another kind of lymphoma. Ah, I see. Okay, so let's think about how we manage multiple myeloma. So I like to think about management in you manage the myeloma itself, but also second arm is going to be the management of the complications of myeloma and end organ damage. So the management of myeloma itself is going to be done by haematologists, isn't it? Specialists, not by an acute physician. So have you got any tips for the general physician and how they need to manage these patients? Um, so as you said, I think because these patients do need management by a haematologist, but it's, it's important not to forget that so a third of all patients in the UK that are diagnosed with myeloma are diagnosed through acute services. Yeah. So they do come to either A&E or to the general medical team. Okay. Um, so it's, it is something that we will be seeing. Yes. Um, and it's important to think about, so in patients where they've had kind of several presentations, mm -hmm. um, particularly to their GP, um, and those patients with unexplained pain, just to think about it. Okay. Um, and then these patients are at risk of things like infection yeah particularly once they've started on treatment as well so mm -hmm. as you said they often have an associated immunoparesis so lower levels of the other immunoglobulins mm -hmm. so they can't necessarily fight off infections so well that's often things like pneumonia mm -hmm. they are more predisposed to um to remember that they're, they're at risk of acute kidney injury. Mm -hmm. And if they're presenting with an AKI, treatment with fluids mm -hmm. and managing any hypercalcemia mm -hmm. that's there is uh, are kind of the most important things to start before you get the haematologist okay. involved. Okay, so these patients are gonna be prone to immunosuppression, as you said. So I know that treatment can involve thalidomide and dexamethasone. Um, also, uh, botozomib is one of the new drugs which is also being used. But again, we won't go into this in too much detail. Stem cell transplant. Yep. So that's um, frequently used now. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, the so the the survival from myeloma is getting better. Okay. Over the years, mm -hmm. uh, because newer treatments are becoming available and patients are having stem cell transplants. Okay. But the patients to be careful with are the patients that have just been started on their treatment okay. recently, because there's still there's still quite a lot of quite high early mortality for okay. patients that have been recently diagnosed, um, and that is particularly around things like infection. Okay, so for infection, then the ways that we can prevent infection in these patients is to give them the flu vaccine, yeah. really important. Maybe pneumococcal vaccines. Yes. Yeah. Um, I know that you can consider intravenous immunoglobulins if they have um, recurrent infections and hypogammaglobulinemia. 
Um, acyclovir, potentially. Yeah, so normally these normally they will be on um say normally. So so sometimes patients are on kind of prophylactic antibiotics okay. and things like cotrimoxazole mm-hmm. um as they are um started on their treatment. Mm-hmm. There's just been a recent trial pub um published um that was run by the University of Warwick that mm-hmm. looked in into using prophylactic antibiotics that shows that there is mortality benefit um, to patients having prophylactic antibiotics when they start their treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's certainly something that some centres use to try and reduce this oh, in- okay. infection risk. And also before starting any treatment, you must have the Hep B, Hep C and HIV serology as well. So you also mentioned bony pain. So for bone disease, we can give um, zelandronic acid or pomidronate. And again, the same we can use for hypercalcemia. Um, you can go back and listen to our podcast, um, Bones, Moans, Groans and Stones, which talks about hypercalcemia. You can also use radiotherapy as well for non-spinal bone disease. Um, and peripheral neuropathy can also sometimes happen in multiple myeloma. Um, and thrombosis. Yeah, so it's really important that these patients, if they come into hospital for, for any reason, that you've assessed their VTE risk mm-hmm. and you've given them prophylactic treatment if needed. Okay, so also one of the big complications of myeloma because of the hyperviscosity is venous thromboembolism. So how can we go about managing venous thromboembolism? So it's really important that if these patients come into hospital for any reason that you've you've done their VTE risk assessment properly um, and given them prophylactic inoxaparin unless there's a reason why they shouldn't have it. Okay. So there is a new guideline actually um, which came out in August 2019. Nice guideline NG89, which is venous thromboembolism, which is reducing the risk of hospital-acquired DVT or pulmonary embolism. And it's really important that we, as you've just said, we do not offer, this is really interesting actually, we do not offer VTE prophylaxis to people with cancer who are receiving cancer-modifying treatments such as radiotherapy, chemotherapy, immunotherapy, if they are mobile, unless they are an increased risk of VTE because of something other than cancer. Interesting. However, there is a caveat. Consider pharmacological VTE for people with myeloma, particularly if they receive chemotherapy with thalidomide, and some other names and steroids. And they say use aspirin or low molecular weight heparin. So they're starting to use aspirin 75 or 150 milligrams for that management. Okay, so again, really, really important. One thing we often do in hospital is forget that TED stockings or thromboembolic determinant stockings are also quite useful as well if they have no peripheral vascular disease. What about fatigue? If they are continuously anemic, and we can't treat their anemia because it's myeloma related. Is there anything we can do? I think it is really difficult and a lot of the symptoms of myeloma are quite um, vague. So things like just generally not feeling very well or non-specific pain um, and the fatigue and the lethargy. Um, but there's um, there's quite a lot of patient support okay. available in yeah. terms of patient support groups, things things like that. So charities like Myeloma UK, and they can put people in touch with other patients that have had myeloma okay. um, and discuss kind of strategies for coping with fatigue. Okay. What about um, 
granulocytes, um, colony stimulating factor. So sort of given or an erythropoietin analogue to help give them, would give an EPO help? Um, so the... The, so the anemia from myeloma is kind of multifactorial. Okay. So um, sometimes it is partly related to decreased uh, decreased EPO. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's more like an anemia of chronic disease okay. um, and is mediated by kind of inflammatory cytokines. Okay. Um, in which case it's probably won't. Okay. okay. So it's something to think about and it's a possibility. Okay. Okay, so to recap then, we've covered a patient who's presented with anemia, with multiple myeloma, we've talked about investigations and management. Um, Just to recap over the complications of myeloma, we've got bone pain, fractures, hypercalcemia, thrombocytopenia, the neuropathies, which are often related to treatment, renal failure, infections, hyperviscosity, and also cardiac failure can be a problem as well, particularly with prolonged anemia. They're often managed by the haematologists, um, but as an acute physician and certainly in general medicine, you see a lot of these patients coming through on the take with these sort of um, side effects of it. And also prognosis, we know that multiple myeloma is not a curable disease, but that people, as you said, are living a lot longer with myeloma than they used to because of the new management strategies. Again, refer you to the new NICE guidance on the management of multiple myeloma, which is very useful. And also the NICE guidance for the VTE, thromboprophylaxis, which is also very useful. Anything else that you'd like to share with us today? Um, No, I think I'd just think one of the important points to remember is that patients don't have to have every feature of the end organ damage of myeloma Mm -hmm. for you to think about testing them. So okay. if you have patients where their symptoms don't quite make sense or they you haven't can't quite get to the bottom of things like an anemia mm-hmm. or renal impairment is to think about testing those patients. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you very much for joining me today, Cats, and thank you to everybody who's listening to the RCP Medicine Podcast. If you want to get in touch, email at podcast at rcplondon ac.uk please remember to rate and subscribe to our podcast and tweet at amy burbridge goodbye